and welcome to The Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of The Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm joined by Steve Wilson, partner at Osborne Clark and head of its New York office, which provides European and Asian legal support to U.S. clients, particularly in the digital space, on all aspects of international business in a programmatic, concise, and relevant way. Steve, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. So let's start sort of a 10,000-foot view. Osborne Clark, you guys are an international firm. You're a, a big firm. Mm-hmm. But your footprint in the U.S. is smaller. Indeed. Just give me a sense of what you're doing in the U.S., how the expansion mm-hmm. has happened, and sort of what the goals are for, for the New York attorneys. Sure. No, absolutely. So I, I suppose to, to give you the overview... Osborne Clark is, as you say, mainly overseas. We were originally founded in 1748, so quite a long time ago, um, out of the UK. And over the, the last 250 years or so, we've grown uh, now to about 1,600 people around the world through 25 offices. All of our offices overseas are, are, are regular law offices. They're providing legal services to both domestic and, and cross-border um, clients. Here in the U.S., it's very different. We opened our first U.S. office in late year, uh, year 2000, and that really was focused on, as you said earlier, the, the digital client base that, that we had really in Silicon Valley. So we opened our first office in Palo Alto, and that was to be really in situ to support the existing client base that we had on the West Coast to be there to provide them with overseas legal advice and also just to be in that market. Because at the time that we opened, it was dot-com boom days. It regrettably followed very quickly to dot-com bust, but less said about that, the better. But it worked really well because we were the first pan-European firm to have an office, a representative office on the West Coast within the time zone, able to reach out to our clients literally on a daily basis or face-to-face and really get to know them in the same way as we would get to know our regular clients in any one of those overseas offices. So what we've done over the last 18 years or so in, in the US is to maintain that model. So the most important approach that we've taken is not to practice US law. So what we've done is we've we've maintained that somewhat unique or niche practice in terms of providing rest of the world advice. So that's either through those offices where where Osborne Clark um, have a presence or it's through a network of of other firms that, that we work with. And that's worked fantastically well because we've been able to partner with some of the best U.S. law firms out there who don't have their own overseas offices. Um, And for our clients, we provide them with this slightly unusual access to overseas legal advice in a time zone that's their own. And they don't have to work out what time of day is it and is it a public holiday overseas? We're, We're in their market. And so not only is there that convenience factor, there's also the ability for us to provide the advice from a US perspective. So even though we're not advising them on their local law, we are understanding the markets they're in. We live here, we work here, and we're helping them navigate the hurdles and the challenges of being active overseas. 
and really growing Osborne Clark's profile, both on the West Coast, where we still have our offices in, in uh, Palo Alto and uh, San Francisco, and now here on the East Coast in, in New York, and, and really you know, raising the profile of the firm as, as much as we possibly can with a small uh, team in, on both coasts. Given that small team and given relative newness of these offices, I imagine that makes your role as an attorney, as a partner in the office a little bit different, especially as the head of the office. What is your role in the in the office here and sort of towards the firm globally? Great question. So it's it's a very unusual role. I don't I, I think there are very few lawyers out there who have a kind of similar role to mine, which is I mean, most of my day-to-day activities are probably broadly split into focusing on our existing client base. That's probably the most important. So being their um, point of contact for Osborne Clark International and helping support them on any issues that come in. And of course, the most exciting thing about that is it can be anything. I mean, you know, with a, a regular attorney, I suppose, out there, often nowadays has a very focused practice. My, my practice over the years has become less focused in terms of a particular um, legal area, but it's become much wider in terms of geographic spread and uh, a, a, an understanding of a number of the issues that um, clients will face. And so whatever they come to us, us with, I want to be able to provide that solution in a very kind of commercial and pragmatic way, because I think that um, a lot of probably bad press or, or some of the difficulties that, that clients have when they're doing business overseas can sometimes put them off. And actually, will, there's often a blame put to the market or some other kind of um, extraterritorial type um, factor, which actually, if they'd had some pragmatic advice up front or they hadn't made it overly complicated they may well have been successful in in that market and so uh, some of that um, advice I'm giving is is almost setting expectations as to what to expect from a cross-border cross-cultural cross-language perspective so that's the kind of the first bit that's you know looking after and, and being that relationship partner to, to, to many of our um, East Coast clients. Secondly is then profile raising and looking to develop our client base within the East Coast. So that's really about being out in the market, meeting people, networking, speaking at conferences, looking to wave the flag of Osborne Clark um, in New York, in Boston, on the East Coast more generally. And so that's really looking to be uh, everywhere all the time. And that's where it becomes very much a, a team effort because it's not just about me being one person, it's about me and my colleagues being able to be out there. And that's either my, my colleague here in in New York, but also it will be visiting colleagues from overseas who regularly are in the markets and they will have a specialist focus. And so we want to connect them with the right clients and contacts in in their space and, and where possible, have them speak on panels, uh, events, and conferences, whatever um, is available. And then thirdly, I suppose it's it's then the, the internal role, um, because 
there's uh, you know I'm I'm out here in in New York as I said earlier. Most of my colleagues are overseas and they are in different time zones. So so what I try and do is is stay in touch with them because I'm speaking to clients every day about what their practices are and what our expertise is around the world. And so it's important that I keep up to speed with where Osborne Clark is, what our new initiatives are, who our new colleagues are. We've, we've grown um, significantly over the last 10 years or so. And so it's important for me to, to, to be able to um, speak to clients and discuss with clients how we might be able to, to help, be very honest about when we can't help or it's an area outside of our expertise. Um, so a lot of, uh, I, I ensure that on a regular basis, I'm catching up with colleagues, whether in a one-to-one basis or, or you know, in, in some of the more team-oriented meetings that, that go on where I can join by VC or by, by phone. Um, and, you know, we just have to be mindful of the, the time zone difference there and either dealing with Europe in the morning, Asia in the evening and the US in between. I'm always fascinated by sort of, let's just say the hierarchies at, at law firms where there's sort of the overarching firm goals and there's the individual partners goals for their own practices. And, you know, you'd think you're in the same firm, you want to help one another's practices, but it can be very siloed. And it sounds like there's very little siloing from your perspective. Is that fair? I mean, does your focus really become very firm focused rather than say your personal practice in that way? Entirely. Absolutely. And I think, I think partly there is a cultural difference here, which is European firms tend to be a lot more collegiate in terms of their partnerships. Part of that is down to the remuneration model that that uh, we have. I mean, we, in Osborne Clark, we have a, a managed lock step. Um, uh, there are other firms out there that still have, you know, a, a structured um, lock step. That the, the kind of eat what you kill uh, model that is used in the U.S. Um, is is almost not used at all overseas. And so I think as a result of that, what my partner's focus tends to be and definitely what my personal focus is, and I say this specifically to clients, is we just want the work to come into Osborne Clark. We as a firm want to be able to provide you with the best support we possibly can. And and we want you to see Osborne Clark as an organization that can help you not only enter a market for the first time, but most importantly, to grow your business. Because we're not about one one deal, one transaction, one project. We want to be able to support you as your overseas um, operations and business and sales grow over hopefully 30 years or, or, or whatever, because that's, that's the, the amount of effort that lawyers go into in, in scoring a client and winning a client is almost totally useless if you do one job for them, you don't follow up with them, you bill them four times what you quoted and you never hear from them again. It's kind of, what is the point? So so what we've, we do as, a, as, a, as an organization is ensure that, you know, whoever, it doesn't really matter whether it's me or a, a colleague in the US or, or one of my partners overseas, if they bring in a client and, and I can add value or they can add value to that relationship, we make sure that the, 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 the dots are, are joined there and uh, and and make the introduction and, and make the and, and it, it leads to uh, more face-to-face time with clients and not surprisingly it actually then develops into a much wider relationship and so we have the opportunity to then advise them across 
countries, across legal expertise, and generally from an Osborne Clark perspective, they become uh, a much larger client than they would be if it just came into one partner. Which seems like a, a good segue to you know talking about business development and sales, because when you were talking about your role, it really sounded almost like a business development role and a client management role than it did an attorney role. Yeah. Except that you're an attorney at the firm. Right. Which leads me to a couple of questions. As that BD role, how much support do you have from the firm? Meaning, are there either in the New York office or supporting you from the UK, uh, a business development team or marketing people who are helping you do those things and helping to support those efforts you're making here in New York or in the the East Coast, I should say? Yes, is is the quick answer. So the the US offices are, are, are very much business development led. But I think one of the things that I've really kind of discovered over the last 11 years of of doing this sort of role is that every attorney and every lawyer out there needs to be a business developer and needs to think about selling a service to clients. And it's very, very difficult for a non-lawyer to sell legal services to a client, particularly a sophisticated client. So whether that's a, a general counsel, in-house legal team, um, you know, even the, the, the C-suite where you know, they have had experience of working with lawyers. Because you're selling yourself, you're selling your credibility, you're selling your expertise. Um, and that, when I say yourself, that's the whole firm. You know, and it, as an individual and, and as, a, as a wider team. And, and we've always found that it works fantastically well when you marry up the two. So you'll have a business development professional and you'll have a lawyer and they both bring something different to the table. I would say that my role has morphed into somewhere between those two because I've become a lot more aware of some of the sales focus and the the need to anticipate clients and demands and be able to react to a client in a way that you'll be able to provide a kind of proactive uh, service to them. Whereas Many uh, lawyers out there will be in a situation where they provide the advice, do the counselling, deal with a a particular transaction, but then not follow through. And I think that that's probably where my business development training, and it's training on the job really, has meant that we're able to grow some of those client relationships or keep in contact with so many of of the clients and the the individuals that that I've met since I've been in the US. So I think think there is a kind of a morphing of legal services and honestly could probably apply to any professional services. When you're not selling a product or or an online service, it comes down to connecting in a, in a human way with your with your clients so that they build up a level of trust. It all comes down to trust. And so if they trust you, and even if I'm not personally going to be advising them on the minutiae of a particular issue that they've got, they know they can trust me to ensure that I will get them the um, advice that they need within the right time frame and at the right price and, and, and all those sort of factors because I'm taking responsibility for them and, and the relationship that Osborne Clark has with them. Is that sales aspect that you have, that, that sales role, is it something that's expected of everybody in the firm or is this something that's fairly specific to particular attorneys who happen to be good at it? Or is this something that's expected kind of of everybody to bring work in? So for me, yes, there, there is there is definitely a 
a kind of expectation from from my perspective and, and from my partner's perspectives that my role is being in the markets that we've chosen to be in in the US and making those connections and, 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 and supporting those clients and meeting new clients and making sure that we can be as kind of widespread as possible in terms of the type of clients that we're very much looking to, to represent. Now, can that apply to others? Yes, of course. I mean, I, I, in a regular uh, attorney practice, I would say that if you didn't have rainmakers or people who are out there bringing in new clients or developing existing client relationships, you're not going to have a business. So, you know, whatever the label that you put to them, I think it's it's key that everybody has an understanding as to what their role is within the business. And interestingly, and again, I don't know if this is a difference between European approach and the US approach, we open up the opportunity for all levels of lawyers and business services professionals to be out there talking to those in the industry that we're looking to represent to about Osborne Clark, about our services. So it's not that we have, you know, 12 people in the firm. We say, hey, you 12, you're the remaking team. Not at all. It's quite the opposite. It's like everybody has a responsibility for not only talking to, to others about their own practice, but having an understanding about the wider firm, both within their own jurisdiction and, and cross-border, so that even if they can't answer a detailed question, they know who to go to or they know how to get the answer and, and make sure that that kind of follow up and connection is made. You know, it is, it's all about business growth and focus and, and making sure that um, you're thinking proactively about how, how can I represent this firm in the best light? How can I um, find the right type of clients or contacts um, in the business? And, you know, the networking event that, uh, that we met at is, is a great example of where, you know, there's, there's going to be a number of people that you meet through being in the, the community that then lead to something else. And the biggest uh, lesson I've ever learned is that, honestly, there is no bad meeting because uh, the person that you're meeting with may not be the person that's going to introduce you to your next client, but they might introduce you to somebody else who then becomes a client or introduces you three, three, three um, people later and, and then they become a client. So it's all about trying to be out there and, and visible and uh, ensure that there is a, a brand alignment so that in my case, if I meet a group of people, all I want them to remember is that guy with the funny accent who was talking about cross-border legal advice. Ideal if they can remember my name or the firm's name so they can track me down. But that's really what it's about is making sure that we can, be, we can reach as wide an audience as possible. You know, in that, in that answer, you didn't say, you know, we need this for the firm. You kept saying, you know, the business needs or, you know, so you're speaking the language of business. Very often, I feel like a lot of firms are very focused on themselves as as law firms. Mm. But your perspective sounds much more business oriented. Yeah, I would I would say actually that that's very much driven by one of our particular strategies, which is focused around a sector first approach. So probably half a dozen years or so ago, we were one of the first in the market to develop a um, sector strategy. And we did this for two reasons. The first was that we found that actually if you segmented our existing client base at the time, you could pretty much put all of our clients or the vast majority of our clients into one of uh, six or seven sectors. And 
What then happened was we realized that if actually we focus on particular sectors, we can identify ways in which we can help a client and identify with a client on a business level. And being a trusted advisor to them, who happens to provide the legal advice as part of that relationship, is what we as a firm were were looking to, to achieve. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to be able to talk to a client about their business under, we, we talked earlier about representing a lot of tech businesses. So we were able to talk to a tech business about what they're doing in the market, where they were positioned in the market, what had happened. You know, we talked about dot-com booms and busts. I mean, obviously, it was good to know what's going on in that market. And therefore, when you're providing legal advice, what's important to them and what's totally irrelevant. So if you're advising them on a, a cross-border M&A transaction, advising a life sciences company versus a tech company versus a clean energy company, you can have very different areas of advice and parts of the transaction that's important. And that's based on understanding what the industry is all about. So from our perspective, having that external focus meant that we were able to identify with our clients on that business level. Internally, it meant that we had multidisciplinary sector teams of lawyers who started talking to each other. So rather being siloed in a way that you're the corporate team, you're the litigation team, you're the labor and employment team, we had a you're the digital team and the digital team are going to be made up of lawyers from all of those different legal departments. Because honestly, most clients will come to you, unless they've got a very specific need, they'll come and just need a lawyer. They don't really care what department you sit in. They want you to be able to advise them on whatever the legal needs are that they have. And to be able to have a multidisciplinary team that understands their industry allows us to cross-sell in a much better way and deliver a, a service to the client in a, in a much more effective and efficient way as well. In talking about it that way, in positioning it that way, is there any risk of commodifying it? Or does, does legal services, do they still remain something that, that's hard to commodify? Not at all. I, th- I, think it, I think that is where the industry is, is, is going in, in, in two different directions. Commoditization we've seen sort of through, you know, there's a number of popular uh, platforms now out there online where you can go and buy legal services. I won't comment on the quality of those or the applicability of those to to all, but, but it certainly is available. What we've done is we've identified that you don't need to overcomplicate things. So one of the types of services that we provide here in the US is a package of services where clients are expanding internationally. And what we've done is we boiled down the requisite legal requirements to set up a a new business in an overseas country, and and we packaged it. And it was one of the most successful things that we did because suddenly from a client's perspective, they were trying to Bear in mind that they've already established their U.S. business. So this is their overseas kind of extension to their sales. So they want it done cheaply, quickly, and they don't want a load of complication around it, because partly because they've actually never made a sale overseas or very few sales. The whole point of them going overseas is to see if they can extend their reach. So by us making it simple and packaging it into the most vanilla version that there is, allowed them to do it very simply without a lot of debate and and, and most importantly, without a lot of cost. And and we 
fixed a fee on it, which meant that it was certain so they could budget for it. If they had specific requirements, we layer that on, on, on top. And so it became a very, very popular package. We called it whatever the country was in a box. So UK in a box, France in a box, Germany in a box. And, um, and, and, and typically clients, particularly sort of BCD uh, VC backed tech businesses uh, were able to use this, use it very quickly. They would set up overseas and up and running. And the most important thing was get their sales guys out there selling. What we then found was that that's the kind of commodity end of, of the market, which you know nowadays most law firms would probably not focus on. However, the next stage, of course, is the non-commoditized aspects of it, which is, is very bespoke in terms of the type of advice clients need when they get into you know, a particular situation. So further growth, or they have a dispute, or they want to do an acquisition. And that's where it's the industry is developing in a way that having a specialist knowledge and having value add, such as the sector approach that I talked about, is really important because a client then is looking to differentiate between their advisors and there are a zillion law firms out there. So why go with Osborne Clark versus all these other firms? And honestly, the, the, the answer tends to be that we've provided them with some really fantastic proactive support when they were at their most basic level of expansion. And so they, we had an opportunity to build up that trust with them and get to know them so that we then are able to then support them as they grow beyond that into other countries or into other areas of specialism. And so that's been super helpful. Wherever we can innovate or provide a service to some of our best clients, we'll do it. And we don't shy away from it. And so even though we've been around since 1748, we actually have a reputation of being very innovative, very modern, very tech-centric focused. And clients like that because they're using these sort of platforms, thinking outside the box, trying to differentiate themselves within their appropriate industry. So to have that reflected in a law firm, which, let's face it, industry-wise can be seen as a little bit stuffy at times or not approachable, we, we tried to do the absolute polar opposite. I mean, it sounds like the country in a box becomes like the foot in the door because these clients are going to need something. It's almost like a loss leader, right? That idea of bringing people in at this certain point because they're going to need these higher-end services later. It's interesting because with, with, with that particular package of services, we partly did that to reflect a lot of the larger, more successful U.S. law firms where they will kind of work almost on a pyramid scheme. They'll work with the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, very much kind of startup level. They'll support them through their various early VC rounds. And then obviously what they're looking to do is to be able to support them at IPO and beyond. So we're not at that early stage of supporting the entrepreneurs because they're looking only at the US market at that stage. So so the, the inner box product was very much focused on, well, that's, that's our starting point in terms of developing a, a relationship. And what we've found is that it's a, a type of service that is across a number of different legal service lines. And it also comes with almost an equal amount of non-legal advice as well. It's, it's, it's 
providing our experience of advising businesses on a cross-border basis. A majority of our team in the US are, are, are non-US or weren't born here. Some of us have been here a long time. Some of us are dual citizens. But, but what we've tried to do is we've tried to ensure that because we have an international team available to our clients, we're able to identify with them as, as much as possible. And I think they appreciate that. And, and it is rather than foot in the door, it's the start of the relationship. It's, it's getting to know them at an early stage because if you're not going to start representing them until you know they've done their IPO, first of all, you've missed all the excitement of the growth along the way, but also you've missed the opportunity to provide them with proactive advice as to how best to structure things. And I've said to so many earlier stage clients, it's so much cheaper and more efficient to take some advice from me up front or from us up front and not make the mistakes rather than blunder into something that you might have read online or you know somebody told you that they once heard that a b c and d then it would be you know doing it properly the first time so what we've 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 very much tried to develop in terms of the profile racing i was talking about earlier is creating a bit of a radar for businesses that are looking to um, internationalize um, so that Again, hopefully when they get to the stage and you know, many of them don't go immediately or, or, or some of them stumble overseas because particularly nowadays with every industry it's online and so sometimes they just discover customers overseas that come to them rather than them, them actually proactively looking to expand outside of the US. So what we're trying to say is like, think about these things, you know, labor and employment is very different overseas, uh, day protection and privacy, very different overseas. Just be aware of that. I, I'm, I'm not in any way wanting to um, make you into an overseas lawyer. I just want you to be aware that there are a number of issues that are different. It's not exactly the same outside of the US as it is within the US. Bad enough in the US with a state to state. So just imagine how it can be if you're looking at a, uh, a foreign country. And so by, by kind of ensuring that that profile is raised or, or, or we share some of the, the, the more um, basic entry hurdles, I suppose, um, hopefully we can uh, maximize the, the likelihood of success overseas, which of course, from our perspective, means that they'll be more successful, they'll grow more, there'll be more legal services needed from Osborne Clark. I know prognosticating is always a dangerous thing, but you know, where do you see sales or business development going in legal? You know, do you think that there are going to be more specialized teams or specialized attorneys selling or even specialized salespeople who aren't necessarily attorneys. I know you said that attorneys are better at selling legal services because they understand them. Combination. <laughs> because actually a lot of lawyers don't have fantastic sales skills. I don't in any way suggest I have fantastic sales skills. I think it's important when you're developing professional services that you're able to connect with the buyers of those professional services. It's kind of pretty basic, isn't it? It's like you're trying to sell something, you're trying to find a customer that wants to buy that thing. So how do you do it? You have to somehow connect with them. In, in my view, I think the, 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 the future of legal sales, as you phrase it, is probably, uh, probably a little different to it is nowadays. I think the commoditization is a risk to legal services and oversimplifies a lot of areas. 
Um, I think the challenge there is that there are probably some parts of, of, of all services that can be simplified and boiled down to you know an online platform and, and that's fantastic. Why, why, why reinvent the wheel over and over and over when it is something that can be pretty simple? But what we're very keen to do is ensure that the service that we're providing to our clients is relevant to them and that we're able to support their development think our strap line is support them in tomorrow's world and that's very much what we're looking to do we're trying to anticipate how we can provide legal services to them beyond what we're advising them on today and i think generally as an industry it's important that we have an opportunity to develop into uh, or develop the way in which we deliver those services the way in which we support those clients and actually the way in which we work together even the dynamic of office-based working is changing and, and we're moving into a more sort of uh, virtual um, office space. And that's because it will allow us to spend time at clients' offices, getting to know them. It will enable us to um, have uh, colleagues who need um, to spend some of their time you know, not in the office because they have childcare or uh, other family uh, commitments, being able to you know, continue to um, work with us and, and not feel that they have to leave because of, of, of their, their uh, personal circumstances. So, so I, I think it's important that as, a, as an industry, we all recognise that there are all these very different um, competing uh, demands on our time and, and ensure that we're able to, to keep developing. And, and, and of course, the most important thing is the, 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 the younger generation, the millennials and whatever comes after the millennials are, are engaged and, and, and want to continue to develop our profession. Because if that doesn't happen, then there's going to be a real problem. Um, but certainly, you know, we have a, some amazingly talented and engaged colleagues who, notwithstanding the fact they're millennials, seem to you know, love what they do and love the type of advice. And, and we just need to make it, as, a, as an organisation, we need to make it relevant for them. Because if we make it relevant for them, they make it relevant for the client and, they, and the client picks up on that sort of culture and proactivity and engagement. I wonder if you go in just a little bit how you think the role of the attorneys will change. And, and might, this might be particular directions. It might be very firm specific. You know, given that shift in how you're looking at business development, how you've seen your role change as an attorney, you know, do you see there being some attorneys at the firm who are going to become more important for business development versus perhaps doing the actual legal work? Or do you think it's going to be important that everybody have a hand in, in developing business? I mean, how is that going to shift, do you yeah. think, for the, for the role of the attorneys themselves? It's interesting because I, my, my practice has, has developed um, quite significantly over the years. And, and I would describe myself as somewhat an outsourced international general counsel. So having a wider remit and, and being able to provide more practical solutions and, and almost being the quarterback to the kind of the, the, the issues that businesses are facing. I think that you could look at it two ways. You could look at it, well, you know, attorneys need to be able to have an, a handle and an understanding of a wide range of issues or at least know where to go for those appropriate solutions. But Likewise, we live in a more and more complicated um, and regulation-structured uh, world, which means that 
there is always going to be the need for the the specialist lawyer that is able to provide um, the detailed advice that that, that clients need. Um, so I, I think in terms of will lawyering change? No, I don't think so. Will suddenly there be a load of you know business development focused lawyers? I think also unlikely. I mean, I I, I even my practice, which I said earlier, is, is quite unusual. I still feel as if I am a lawyer. I still provide counselling to clients on a on a daily basis, and 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 have I suppose a, a somewhat traditional practice in terms of clients that feel I feel responsible for and to, and and, and hopefully they they see me as their lawyer. So I think that that personal connection that every lawyer needs to have with their client or every professional needs to have with their client is not going to be something that disappears overnight because it comes down to the fact that it is a a, a, a personality-driven relationship. And if you got to the point where you just had a, a salesperson who then handed over to a faceless lawyer, I'm not sure that that would work so well because I think that the the credibility is lost. The what, what the salesperson is is selling is is not what they personally experience or or, or have um, handled them personally in the past. And so I, I think it'd be very difficult to segment the industry in that way. I think having business development skills is vital. So maybe it might be that if you're looking at how will the industry be different, you know, now or in the future versus how it was 30, 50 years ago, I suspect that in the old days, a lot of uh, lawyers were able to benefit from having very long and loyal client relationships. I think those days are gone. I think clients are much more awake to making sure that they get the services they need and are not shy about asking for them or ultimately looking to another firm to provide services if they don't feel that they, they're getting them. And so I think it's important that every lawyer realises that and, and actually understands that they need to keep in touch, they need to engage, they need to look for ways in which they can add that additional service outside of you know, their, their chargeable hour to ensure that they they remain relevant to, to their client because the minute they're not relevant or they're forgotten about, there goes their business, right? Yeah, I mean, that, seem, that seems like a good place to leave it, actually. Um, Steve, thank you for, for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio Podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners who've joined us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Wherever you find us, please leave a like or a review. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com. It is just legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry, based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.